you know, I'm getting a little tired of these unannounced visits by VIPs who will not tell us why they're coming or what they're going to do when they get here. Yeah, leave it to you to try and take all the fun out of life. I mean, come on, where's your sense of mystery, of adventure? Are you trying to cheer me up? No, sir. Wouldn't dream of it. Good. I hate being cheered up. It's depressing. So in that case, we're all going to die horrible, painful, lingering deaths. Thank you. I feel so much better now. Because you won't tell yourself about it. I try never to get involved in my own life. Too much trouble. This is a very strange place you have here, Mr. Garibaldi. Thank you. Against the galaxy's most powerful enemy, Sheridan has a secret weapon. But will it be enough? The suicide. Punch it! On an all-new... Hang on! Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies watching every episode for the first time and a group of first ones who have watched this way too many times and we're here we are on episode 45 which means this is season three we have moved headlong into the year 2260 the year we failed thanks ivanova and we are here to talk about matters of honor. I am Scott, and with me is... Jesse! <laughs> Emily. Mike. Mike. Kevin. Nicole. Andrew. And Justin. Before we get started with season three, a reminder, please check out our social medias. We have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're listening to this in the audio version, we have a YouTube version. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, we have an audio podcast. All links are down below. Also, we do have a Patreon, which also has a Discord. So if you are a donor on Patreon at any level, you get access to our Discord. They've been chatting uh, recently about the B5 animated movie and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then we also have merch down below as well. Finally, on the Patreon front, thank you to the members of our Grace Council, our producers. They are listed down below. We had two new producers join us, Sarah and Andre. So thank you so much for your support. And you can check out all those names in the show notes along with that we love 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 when you send us reviews so please go to apple audible pod chaser whatever and give us a review it really does help us and we just got one in guys that is another five star from bryant burnett bryant says and i quote great for the initiated and newcomers alike a friend who i share b5 fandom with recommended this podcast to me and i'm glad i followed his recommendation the podcast is a mix of hosts who have seen the show already and who are brand new to it. This proves to be a fascinating way to revisit the series for somebody like me. And I assume it would also be a lot of fun for sci-fi fans who have never watched the series, but want to follow along with some expert guides. I don't know about the expert part, Brian, but thank you. And Brian says, I look forward to following the podcast to the end of the series and maybe even beyond. 
Thank you, Brian, for your review. We really do appreciate it. We'll dive into matters of honor, and I believe Nicole has a synopsis for us. Yes, I do. While an Earth official investigates the mystery ship encountered by Lieutenant Keffer in hyperspace, Lando attempts to sever his ties with Morden. Sheridan also receives a new tool in the fight against the shadows. That's a wonderful synopsis that we did not steal from the Lurker's Guide. We promise, but we did. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into our first impressions from our newbies. And I know we usually get a nice little bump when a new season starts. And also with the news of the new B5 movie coming out, I'm sure some of you are new to this as well. So uh, we will talk to our newbies first. They will give us their impressions. We'll then talk to our first ones who have seen the whole show. And then we'll talk about the episode proper without any spoilers. And once that's done, we'll get the questions, predictions from our newbies. We'll kick them out the airlock. And then we'll talk spoilers about what happens next. And you can assume being the start of a new season, the Beyond the Rim section is going to have some have some weight to it. Let's go ahead and get into first impressions from our newbies, and we'll go to Jesse first. First impressions. Of course, you're going to go to me first. You're first on my you, screen. I'm going to tell you right now, um, not 100% sure what this episode was about. Um, I watched the whole damn thing. Uh, I was extremely confused the whole time, and I think it's just because uh, my brain has stopped working at this point. But I... I don't know what happened. I know they developed something and a new ship came out and that's, it was fun times had by all in this household. You can send your comments to gray 17 podcasts at gmail.com. Dude, I don't fucking know. Like I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I sat there. I watched it. I paid attention, but I'm, I literally caught myself going, what is happening right now? What is happening right now? multiple times throughout the episode which sometimes happens and then i just catch up and by the end of the episode i'm like oh no that was yeah i get it i'm tracking not tracking in this episode kind of hoping that i if i watch it again i might pick something well let's go to emily next emily were you tracking um yeah i think so we're gonna (laughs) find out great times had by all i no, I struggled with the last few episodes of season two. Like, I just ended up angry about them. Very, very angry. Um, but I was really worried about starting season three. I pulled the box out of the little DVD box set, and I was like, there's a new fucking face. <laughs> I'm like, I, seriously, if this spoils it, and like I have to wait until halfway through th- season three to figure out who this is, I'm going to be pissed. Thankfully, I didn't have to. They introduced this new guy, and I'm still not sure about him. I keep thinking he's like Robin Hood from like Men in Tights or something. Something. (laughs) It's a thing. Scott, I never knew I needed a musical episode of B Five till now, but if we could get the Rangers singing, you know, Rangers in Tights, that's Mm -hmm. nice. Well, for that, JMS is working on the reboot right now. I'm sure we can get an episode done. Yeah, Um, I actually really like this episode. Again, I'm angry with Londo just because Mm -hmm. I'm angry with Londo. I think that's gonna stick around for quite some time, so I'm trying to get past it. But no, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting way to start a season. And Nicole, first impressions. This episode was quite a way to start the third season. Uh, Just superficially out the gate, the graphics looked great. In the first opening scene, I was like, these look amazing. Um, New med lab, Garibaldi's a little more bald. Uh, New fancy credits, Ivanova's voicing them. So that's kind of cool. I kind of liked Kosh messing with uh, Sheridan a bit. I feel like that was his way of like messing with him and like joking with him at the beginning. 
Uh, we'll talk about that interaction later, but I really kind of, I got kind of got a kick out of that. I'm like, is Kosh Loki funny? So that was kind of fun. I got to say this episode was, I was not expecting the ending when I saw it. And I literally wrote in capitals and highlighted it WTF and I yelled at the TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I think Cole, I, I kind of think he's kind of hot, by the way. I like his accent. He's He's not bad looking. So it's time we got some eye candy in here. Keffer's gone, so we can't look at him. But, you know, we got to have some some cuties. Um, And OK, here's my hot take. This is probably the most fucked up thing I'm going to say on this podcast. But when Morden came on the screen, I was instantly pissed. But then I was like, damn, he looks kind of hot. I'm sorry. But That's he did. I've been saying. He looks kind of hot. I was like, damn, you are evil hot. So, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. he looked really hot. Like he didn't look that hot last season. But this season, I'm like, damn, what happened to you, Morden? And then at the end, I got pissed off all over again. But he looked real hot. To, he looked real hot in the beginning. Can I ship uh, Morden and Nicole now? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like the right time for that. He probably doesn't look like that now, but, you know. Only if, I she, lets, only if she lets the shadows watch. <laughs> They'll be yeah. there regardless, either way, because they're right. always with him. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so uh, I don't know what season three, episode one, Nicole, or Jesse and Emily were watching, but I really liked it. I thought it was great that we finally got to see what I think is the best part of any political drama, which is uh, starting to see these alliances more overtly uh, becoming questionable, like specifically between Londo and Morden. I'm excited to see where the Rangers are starting to feel like a bigger part of the show now. So really interested in seeing where all that goes. So, Justin, we gave you a lot of shit about the Angels and now... Yeah, Mr. Morden's at Earth Dome, so you have to be creaming your pants. Nerdgasm. Like, who the fuck is Morden not in bed now with these days? Jesus oh. Christ. Like, oh, I would I have said ex- Nicole a minute ago, but... I <laughs> now, I mean, I'm, I mean, now Nicole's probably Googling Morden Love Pillow on Amazon or something like that, but... We can make um, that rebuttable to you on. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, God, no. <laughs> we can also make Morden him a toilet body seat. pillow. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> What it says, it says, what do you want on it? <laughs> and then I'll be like, you know what I want. Oh, but we, we have we have continued this conversation about five minutes extra too long. So <laughs> but anyway, back to my first impressions. Yeah, just watching him walk in there towards the end. I was like, that really caught me off guard. But overall, being a season premiere and not too shabby, I had the same reaction as Emily when I pulled out my uh babylon 5 dvds and said who the fuck is this space jared leto that's here on the cover wow but so far not a bad not a bad character in my opinion i like the you can definitely tell they're getting more money the the cgi is a little bit better the cameras seem to even be a little bit better new seat new new set pieces everything's a little not as grainy as it was in season two and then is it just me or is the music darker and more martial you're going to see that Christopher Frank, who is the composer, and he's great, changes the theme to match the theme of the show. So yeah. you listen to the intro, you listen to the instrumental music or the incidental music, things change every single season. It's definitely a lot more martial feel to the music so far this season. Overall, I really don't have anything negative to say about it. And that will go to our first ones who have watched the whole show at least once or 500 times. Mike, first impressions. Yeah, I uh, really like this episode. I definitely get where it is a bit overwhelming. Um, 
I've rewatched the series probably less than the rest of you guys. And, and even I forgot just how much happens all in this first episode of the season with the introduction of Marcus and the introduction of the white star and all of that. Um, but yeah, overall it's good. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got fun space battles. It's got, I guess no big space mystery necessarily, but a little bit of politicking going on. And uh, you know, who doesn't love that new intro that's so ominous with Ivanova announcing that, you know, Babylon five failed at its initial mission. And then they cut away to all of the remaining main casts looking like they were being introduced as the starting lineup in a <laughs> NFL football game. Shakar <laughs> from Western Illinois university. So yeah, overall, I mean, it's, it is a very, it's a very fun episode and you get Marcus. Yes. Blake, first impressions. I also really enjoy this episode. I thought it's, you know, I do, I will say, I think it starts off a little slow and it takes a minute to grab your attention into it, but it is a really great episode and you get a lot of advancement in the story. You get the white star brought in, you get Marcus. Uh, the other thing I like, you really get to see Delenn start to do something in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first episode we really get to see Delenn whoop someone's ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that fight scene. So it's nice to see uh, Delenn start to get a little bit more to do also. Um, I will say the other part, that scene at the end with the senator, you know, for all the conversation we've had about Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine, does anyone else here know who played the senator? I do. Other I than do. Scott? I was staring at her like I know her face. And my so was her like, name is Kitty God. Swink. Yeah. Her husband is Armin Shimmerman, who is Quark from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I love Quark. Oh, I met her then. Okay. Yeah, it's Quark's wife uh, is the senator at the end of this. Didn't know that. And Kevin, first impressions. I really like this episode as well. It packs a lot in. It does It does start off a little bit on the slow side, but it, it picks up later for sure. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's great that you know they've they've moved out the station and unveiled the defiant oops i mean the white star okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a conversation i'm only that. kidding i'm Go only ahead. kidding but um no i mean the uh the introduction of marcus cole is something that i've been eagerly awaiting um if anyone has seen my uh my babylon 5 profile pick you can guess why so um, but yeah, this is a this is a great episode with uh, I, I I especially like seeing Tucker Smallwood. He done uh, done some other stuff that I've seen and is always good. So um, but yeah, the, the the piece at the end, knowing knowing that Morden's uh, working with Psychor, that's that's something to talk about for sure. Yeah. And for me, you guys have hit on most of it already. I think this is the strongest season opener we've seen so far. Uh, point uh, point of departure is important because it kind of resets everything after Chrysalis tosses some tables. But this is the episode that really reminds you that we are now in a serialized show. And I know I've said that a lot, but I mean, we literally, it starts with Sheridan saying, hey, Kosh, 10 days ago, you saved my ass. And then we just continue on. We talk about the Markab home world again. We talk about how the shadows are still moving. We continue off Londo's story where we knew he was getting hesitant about working with Morden, and now he's telling Morden to buzz off and so forth and so on. So there's a lot happening here. And I'm with Kevin. Uh, I, I think Marcus is one of my favorite characters in the whole show, and I'm glad we finally got to see Jason Carter, and uh, I'm going to enjoy what you guys all feel about him. Obviously, I'm not spoiling because he's in the main credits, so uh, Marcus will be back. And uh, I love the White Star. I fucking love the White Star. 
and yes, Kevin already made the joke. I will say people argue, well, DS9 stole from uh, Babylon 5 because Defiant and White Star, they both came in season three. DS9 season three was a year earlier because they didn't take a break between the gathering mm. and season. The emissary happened as season one. Whereas in the gathering happened and then they took a break for a year. So at this point in the nineties, the defiant's been around for a year. So I always love when people are like, Oh, the defiant is a copy off the white star. It was around for a year before the white star. Okay. But I think uh, the look that Sheridan gives when he's on, when he sees the white star for the first time and Marcus says, that's yours is the look I give when the white star shows up because we get to move around now, guys. And that's the thing, too. It was the same with D-Space Nine. We get to move around now. And actually, JMS said that in Season 3, they had more money, as you guys have all mentioned, to build more sets. And some of those sets, as we've already seen, are not on Babylon 5. So buckle up, kiddos. You yeah. mentioned the start of the serialization. You know, one of the criticisms you and I have had most on a certain other Deep Space franchise on the other side of the universe <laughs> is there was never any stakes to it. Yeah, it's a reset button every single week. Yes. But right there in the opening of this one, the very first scenes, you've got um fixing that front pylon on the station that got blown off last mm-hmm. in the season finale. They're fixing that tramway system where the bomb went off. So, you know, you start to see those pieces where things have consequences from one episode to the next. They're, the reset button is gone at this point. Absolutely. And we're going to continue to see that. And a lot of dark and sad ways as we continue on this story. So I love dive. that other series, but it's extremely fair criticism. Absolutely. You love Voyager? I was talking about TNG, but whatever. Oh, I think he was talking about we Voyager. Were. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about TNG. Okay. Voyager. Okay. Voyager is the one that actually literally built more shuttles without saying they built more shuttles. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think they called out in the first season. We only have six shuttles, and then like they blew up 20 shuttles in the seven years. It was <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about this show and not Star Trek so Jesse doesn't rip my, my fucking head off. Okay, so who wants to talk about what first? We got mainly, the I think the two major plot points here are the Londo Shadows, Morden stuff, and then the, the rest of the crew and the White Star and Marcus and all that. So, Nicole, where do you want to go first? I guess we could start with the Londo and the Morden stuff. Yeah. When he asked Morden to meet him and he was like, oh, so you got what you wanted and you want us to disappear. It was very clear that Morden was not like he was being sarcastic and stuff. But uh, I forgot who it was that said they thought maybe Morden might have been working with Rifa already. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's why my hand is up. Yeah. We were right. Yes. And and everybody else said no. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure that with or without Londo. Yeah, he would have still worked with Reva. Yeah, and he plainly says he worked with Lord Reva to secure that planet. So I thought it was kind of fucked up, but I was like, I remember we said that in that episode that mm-hmm. he was working with Reva. So I was like, ooh, now I want to know what was said and beyond the rim on that episode. But um, the fact that he basically was like, okay, fine, you know, you this is what we have, this is what you have, you know, stay on your side, we'll stay on our side. And he's like, well, how do I know that? you know, you're going to hold your word. And he goes, you don't. And I was like, you just dance with the devil. Do you think this guy's going to fucking. Right. And then when he said he worked with Rifa, So basically I feel like Morden almost dismissed Londo more than Londo was trying to dismiss Morden at this point, because he was like, all right, you won't give me what I want. I'll go to this fuck. And he did. So that was crazy. And I think that, you know, I don't know if Londo trying to wash his hands of Morden was him trying to like, I don't know, make a penance or just kind of move forward. But clearly 
the Centauri and Morden are in bed now. And honestly, I almost wonder uh, in that little trio at the end that we saw if the Centauri are in on it too, but I'll save that for later. Andrew? Kind of deviate away from that a little bit. I just wanted to touch on our new season three intro. Uh, So I think that is probably the most kick-ass intro that we've gotten so far, just like with all the updated graphics and uh, uh, Ivanova's uh, voice and like just the way she inflects and like the part where she says like Babylon 5 was our last best hope for peace and we failed. Just, yeah, that's it. Oh, and and Jeff Conway. Conway. Yeah, Jeff Conway Conway is now main cast. Remember, we were talking about he basically earned his stripes. And I I, I continue to harp on the Jeff Conway thing because I think he went through a lot of shit in his life and his life honestly didn't end very well. But he worked his ass off to get a bit part and turn it into main cast. And I love the fact that you all kind of enjoyed him in season two. And we all knew and we were talking behind the beyond the rim that he's going to be a much bigger character in season three. And uh, I think he earned his stripes. And it's so it's it's just a pleasure to see him in the main cast because he worked his ass off to get there as an he actor. He deserves it. He deserves it. Yeah. He went through a lot of shit to get there. Sorry, Andrew. Oh, no, that, and, that was it. Look, just those two points. And Blake. I want to flip back over to the Morden pieces, especially that very first conversation with Londo. And as a question, one for those of you who watched it. So I watched this actually twice. I watched it on two different devices. Uh, one is I did it on my laptop, and the other was on my uh, surround sound system. And when Morden has that very first conversation with Londo, and Emily, you're shaking your head. It's an audio podcast. I'm going to call that. You're, you're shaking your head because there's this noise after Londo says, I want to mm-hmm. be done with you. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about this, you know, Morden being a meat puppet versus free will before. And I think we kind of we've already established some of that, but you really get this idea. And we've even seen in the episode uh, where they you know, shared and scanning through the different frequencies and sees the shadows next to him. But you hear that whisper here. They want to have a word before this all gets separated out. So it was just kind of an interesting, and I didn't know how many of you might've picked that up based on what you watched on, because my laptop, it didn't show up so well. Um, but on the surround sound system, it actually showed up pretty uh, loud and clear on there. So I wanted to point that out for y'all. I love that to, line a... that Morden says. It's like, oh, there's just this one thing, probably not even worth mentioning. Yeah. It's like, oh, then it's definitely worth mentioning if you're going to put it like that. <laughs> we all know how treaties work. Yeah. Did, did, Justin, because it's an audio podcast, Justin held up his notebook and had like an entire page that was like Morden's sound. So <laughs> Justin definitely caught it. But did you also notice in the next scene where they were divvying out the fucking galaxy? And it was literally the entire, we're not talking sectors here, kids. We're like, you take this little swath of the galaxy, we'll take the rest. I noticed that was divided by a line of fire. Yes. It's a bit dramatic. I was like, oh, okay. That's unique. Okay, here's the deal. It's divided down the middle by a line of fire. And then they say, except for this spot over here. If you're Centauri, wouldn't you immediately be like, you can't have that. I don't know what it is, but you can't have it. And what's over there? Yeah. Well, and, and That's Morton the even diamond planet. Morton even called out. I was like, we both know these trees are bullshit anyway. So when we want something, we're just going to take it. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Emily, what do you got? Um, so for that first conversation with Morton and Londo and Londo going in, like, I, I was honestly trying to figure out, is he this inept that he doesn't realize he can't just be like, I'm done and we need to sever this? Or is he just 
desperate at this point to try to get away from what he's been doing because when they first had their agreement he agreed like Morden asked him you know I might need a favor from you later something along those lines and I'm like really dude did you forget that bit of it because you know you're not walking away from this without this guy getting something he wants and See, it, was I'm just, sorry, it was just interesting I'm still kind of trying to figure out if he's really that far out of his element because it's not in his usual nature to be so ruthless and conniving and play that kind of a long game because he had never really had that much responsibility before or if he's just confused on what the hell to do and doesn't really want to be involved. See, I see it the exact opposite way on both of those. I see it as this is how Londo does business. This is how the Centauri do business. This is not new. He's like, hey, I used you. I got what I needed. It's time for you to go away. Because he was even smiling when he was talking to Morden. Morden's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm done. We're good. We have a manifest destiny. It doesn't matter. We don't need you anymore. We're good. And then Morden's like with his shadow friend saying, hey, we just have one little thing we have to go over. Fine. Then we're done. So you're looking, I think you're looking at Londo, and this is legitimate, you're looking at it this way, this is your perspective. You're seeing Londo from a piece of weakness. I'm seeing Londo coming as a piece of strength. He's saying, I'm done with you. We don't need you anymore. And I'm trying to figure out what makes him think he can make that statement. When well, I didn't he, say he was smart. <laughs> when he needed their help and they could like do what they did. They're just like, oh, we're going to go in and just like, boom. But did you all, did you, I'm sorry, I stepped on you there. Did you all know that, uh, notice that he doesn't even know what the ships look like? Yeah. He's never seen what the shadows do. All he knows is that when they go in there, it's no longer a problem. So he's coming at a point of ignorance too. He has no idea. These guys may just be more raiders for all he knows. He doesn't know. Which is really dangerous if you don't know what you're dealing with and then try to sever a relationship. So that also kind of seems incompetent. I never said he was smart. I just said he was coming in his position of strength. That's all it I said. Off as, it comes off as cocky and or naive. Mm -hmm. Justin, what do you got? Well, I mean, I definitely agree that Lando is definitely coming in from a place of ignorance because he has to know deep down, Morton and the Shadows are not going anywhere, regardless of what Lando says. Because even in their parting words at the bar, after he goes, oh, by the way, we have to kind of do a little bit of bookkeeping before we go. And then Lando says, and then we'll be done. And then you'll go away for for as long as you want us to or something like that, which mm -hmm. means yep. that's Morton's way of saying, yeah, you may not want us now, but you'll you'll come crawling back to us eventually. And I think that's kind of what all of that was setting up towards, especially now that Londo knows that Rifa's involved with Morden, he's not going to let that slide. And he's going to end up coming right back to Morden, not even just because he wants to have anything to do with Morden, but he has to protect himself from Rifa. So thanks, Justin. Now I have Hamilton in my head. You'll be back. That's what you'll see. You belong to me. <laughs> Nicole, would you like to serenade us as well? No, I will not do that to you. But I will say one thing that I thought in this, I know this happened at the end and isn't part of this scene and storyline, but I think it's related. Um, how Lando kind of was arrogant. I think Mike said it arrogant and naive a little bit about how he was addressing Morden, thinking like, oh, he's going to just go away when Morden clearly made it 
clear that like, you, no, I'm not going to go away. I'm going to work with Rifa. But at the very end, I noticed Morden said something about how they were talking about the report and how the Narns were like, oh, you know, they were saying stuff, but they don't really know. And he goes, and we handled the Narns, didn't we? So I feel like Morden has no hesitation or qualms about just wiping anybody out who gets in their way. And I feel like I don't, I just, I thought that that was a good correlation because the way he was addressing Londo was like, are you sure? Not even a little bit. And then he's like, all right, well, we're just going to go work with Rifa. And then at the end, when he said that, obviously it wasn't part of that storyline, but it, I still think it's related because, you know, it just shows the character of, of who Morden and Morden and the shadow people are. But also it just kind of like almost made that scene even a little bit more like, oh, you fucked up because he's not going to listen to you. And like the whole ah, treaties are what they are. Basically, the bullshit. You know what I mean? I just feel like that was kind of hitting the nail in the coffin on all of those things that happened before in the episode. Emily. Well, since Nicole brought up that scene when they're talking about their report, I knew he had to be working with someone on Earth. <laughs> I saw that scene. I was like, yes, I knew it. Because I know he's not just working with the Centauri. It wouldn't make sense. He's got to be manipulating the situation from multiple angles. So I knew he had to be working with someone on Earth. And that actually explains the absurd treaty between Earth and Centauri. The one thing I wanted to bring up with the Londo Morden stuff that you guys haven't brought up yet. And Blake, you kind of alluded to this with all of the serialization of the show as we move forward. We get Londo's dreams again. And that's a dream we have seen flat out. He didn't recognize what those ships were. Now he does. So even his dream is starting to make more sense to him as it goes through as well, too. So that's interesting. I love how we're continuing to build off that as we move forward in this show, too. Anything else on the Londo Morden aspect before we dive into what's happening with the Ranger planet and all that good stuff? I do believe we have it surrounded, Mr. Morden. <laughs> nice. Okay, so let's talk about Mr. Marcus. Who wants to talk about our good friend Marcus Cole? Robin Hood? <laughs> yes. Anyone I'm sorry, every time I saw him and heard him speak, I kept thinking Robin Hood. Okay, so Emily doesn't like Marcus. Okay. I never say I didn't like him. I just said I keep picturing him as a Robin Hood. Okay, that's I really not, liked that's him in a... 30 Seconds to Mars. <laughs> God. Does anyone else have any opinions on Mr. Marcus so far? Marcus reminds me of Aragorn from Lord of the Rings a little bit. Okay, so we've got everyone comparing Marcus to other people. Does anyone want to talk about Marcus himself, <laughs> Justin? So is are they? Am, am I getting this right to where like the the Rangers are kind of like the the Jedi at Babylon Five, or is it just Marcus? No, because I, it seems like he's kind of got that kind of Jedi feel to him, and then like he whips out this like magical stick that he beats the shit out of people with. I don't know if that's Ranger standard issue or if that's just something that's unique to him, but. Um, I think I think he's an. He said it was a gift. Yeah, he was actually it? said okay. he got it from a friend. So it's and Dylan knows what it is, and she's seen it before. But it's not like he got it as you know a, a uniform. He was part of your kit. And unlike a Jedi's lightsaber, the Mimbari fighting staff at least makes some sense. <laughs> it makes zero sense, but okay, sure. Would have been cooler as a lightsaber, but anyway. <laughs> um, I think I don't know. I I mean I've only seen him for one episode. So I really don't know what to think of him at this point. He has an interesting backstory, almost like a tragic backstory about how he came to um, show up in the in the Rangers and stuff like that. Kind of feels like he's kind of avenging his dead brother or keeping his promise to his dead brother. But 
Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm going to kind of hold my judgment on him as a character until I see more of him. But so far, he's not terrible. He stopped believing in everything a long time ago, Justin. Yeah, he's a, he's a nihilist. Mm-hmm. You can't trust nihilists. Emily. Um. So aside from thinking of Robin Hood every time I see him, I do actually think he has the potential to be a really interesting character as we go forward in the season. Yes, I see you dancing with your little toy. He does look um, like Robin Hood, doesn't he? He does. No, sir. We didn't see you playing with your dolls again. <laughs> so I'm really hopeful that the writing for him is good and he has a solid character development because I feel like there's a lot of potential for him there. So I'm interested to see how he progresses through the season. Assuming he makes it out alive. I don't know. I'm I hope so. Andrew. How dare you insult the writing for Marcus when he has such lines as like, I don't remember what he says exactly, but uh, <laughs> when he has such lines as I don't remember. Wow, Andrew. I don't the gist of it was. I, I don't talk much if I don't have anything to say. That was a fucking gem of a line. No, I'm talking about like uh, when when they're in the, the down below and uh, uh, they encounter the one guy and he says like, like, how dare you oh. insult me? And he says uh, like, like, oh, with a face like that, I thought you'd yeah. be used to it by now. Yeah, with a face like that. <laughs> let's let's do it this way real quick. So I'm going to go to all the newbies. Based on the first time you saw Keffer and the first time you saw Marcus, because these are both coming in one season at a time, who were you more interested in? Not not who did you think would be a better character or anything else. Who were you more interested in when you first saw him? Keffer or Marcus? Jesse, Keffler, if you'd like. The fact that I thought his name was Keffler tells you right there that I was not extremely interested in his character. Um, I, I'm excited to see where Marcus goes. I don't know. I'd probably pick Marcus if I had to pick one. Emily. Marcus. Andrew. We're talking first impressions. It's about equal. Okay. You like jet jockeys or whatever you want to call them? You're damn right I do. Justin. Yeah, I guess I'm on the coal train. And Nicole, Keffer or Marcus? Marcus. You think he's hotter, don't you? Well, yeah, but that's besides the point. I like his accent. But I just think I think because he's a ranger, I'm a little bit more interested in what his storyline will be. So what else we want to talk about, guys? We still got uh, what's going on with the investigation to the shadows and we've got what happens with the White Star. Emily. Okay, so I want to talk about the White Star and what was with the edge around their stations. It's creepy. (laughs) It looks, I was like, does it look more like a weird spinal column with residual tissue? Does it look like gums with teeth worn down? It freaked me out. I do not like it. It almost looks cool. It almost looks biological, doesn't it? Yeah, which, you know, not surprising because they're working with the Borlon and it was, you know, a partnership ship Andrew's i see you waving andrew andrew's getting really excited guys <laughs> what's he got I had, I, I had something in my notes about that because she mentioned that uh it was built like with a combination of their theirs and borlon technology so i was wondering like is the ship sentient and that's why it looks so weird you'll have to wait and see beyond the rim Damn it. tentacles tentacles buttholes I think it's kind of cool, Tilly, that they're playing ahead. Like, it's built to not look like anything. So if it gets captured or destroyed, it won't lead to anybody else because we don't want people knowing where this came from. I like that. Justin. We got deviated to the White Star, but I wanted to point out my favorite Ivanova moments probably so far was Mm. in this episode. Mm -hmm. 
of when Sheridan is like very apologetic and is like, I'm sorry, I haven't told you this yet. And then she just rattles off everything that's going on. And the dumbfounded look on their faces is like, how did you even know? And she's and she said something very true. If there's ever a moment where I don't know what's going on in this station, then worry. So I always love when they give Ivanova just I, I love it when they show Ivanova is good at her job. You know, just it's just little stuff like she's legitimately good at her job. I fucking love that. Like, well, Justin just beat me to it. I was going to comment on that whole scene with Ivanova where, you know, Sheridan very apologetically is going to explain to her, you know, didn't want to tell you this way. Sorry about it. Oh, shit. You know everything. <laughs> you know, it, but the background acting there, just the look on Garibaldi's face as she's going through this, too, uh, where you've got Garibaldi and Lanier just sharing this look of, oh, fuck. <laughs> Andrew, you got your hand up again? Yeah, this was for something else. Um, Go for it. I was just going to bring up, because uh, they said like it's a new med lab. So did I miss something? I heard did something happen off screen. Like, wh- like why is there a new med lab? Because we got, got more money. Budget. Oh, okay. Makes sense. I mean, I guess in headcan, you can argue we didn't see Franklin for two or three episodes. Maybe he was installing it, you know, what we didn't see him. But it's they got more money. They did the same thing in season two. We got the Zocalo in season two, and we got the Fighter Bay, the Cobra Bay. And so now we've got... Um, We've got the new med lab. We have a couple uh, extra B5 stations. We got the White Star uh, set. And then there's another set you got a peek of, and I don't want to say what it is because that would be a spoiler, but you got a peek of it this episode. Nicole. Um, going back to the the White Pearl or White Star. I don't White know why star, I called it White ma'am. Pearl. White Star. White Star. Sorry. All the fans are clutching their pearls right now, but it's the White um, Star. So, or White Pearls. Yeah. Um. So that thing kind of like the the teeth inside kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like it was like all the around the controls were like they look like teeth. <laughs> so it was kind of weird to me. But what I thought was was interesting about that is that Sheridan didn't even know he had a whole ass ship. And then all of a sudden, here's a whole ship for him. Right. And then they get on it. And how did they figure out how to work it if it's technology that's beyond their realm? Like Ivanova was just looking at the controls and like, all right, here we go. And I was like, it just kind of like, I don't know. It was kind of crazy how like they just jumped in and, and started going. And also about how he knew about like the whole jump point thing. And like, that was just really interesting. That whole, like, let him follow us. And then they jump pointed out of the jump, out of the jump gate and all that. And I just thought that whole sequence was like, kind of like fun and exciting the whole like chase and the and how they missed when they shot it the shadows missed when they shot at them and stuff he was very quick to figure a lot of things out and i don't know if that's just a trope of sheridan because like i feel like he finds the puzzle pieces very fast but yeah i, I thought that was kind of interesting that whole scene was just kind of fun and linear's reaction uh i think i need to rework that like that just cracked it, it was like funny but exciting a couple things, and I know, Nicole, you're new to sci-fi, but for those who watch Star Trek, and we already joked about The Defiant, and I will say that Seasons 1 and Season 2 of Babylon 5 are stronger than Deep Space Nine, hands down, but Deep Space Nine turned a corner as a show when they got a ship, and they were able to go places. Babylon 5 now has a ship, and they get to go places, and they get to have these exciting moments, so I think you're you're going to enjoy that piece. The other part is you mentioned how they learn how to use the ship. They didn't. Remember that they had the religious cast there running the ship. Right. 
But well, Ivanova was still manning some of the controls and like she was looking stuff. at the sensors, right? Uh -oh. <laughs> well, I, I, we're going to talk about that beyond the rim, Scott, because I wanted to bring that up in the beyond the rim part with Ivanova and the controls. So we'll talk about that later, Nicole. Understood. Great. Understood. Nicole, you can hear about it in two years. Yeah. Emily. Awesome. I'm just looking more for a bit of clarification about the ship because Dylan was explaining that, you know, it was a collaboration project with the Mimbari and the Vorlon. But because of Sheridan, they, the crew for the ship was from the religious cast. So I was trying to figure out the warrior cast has a majority on the Grey Council. They have four seats. So why are how do they factor into this? And Nicole, like, Nicole has her hand up. She has an answer for you beyond the rim. Nicole, go for it. Um, they said the, the Grey Council didn't know about the ship. Some on the Grey Council didn't know. Oh, okay. We don't know. Again, you clearly okay. have never worked for government. <laughs> you, you I, I was trying to figure, yeah, I was just trying to figure out like if I missed something no. there or if they didn't clarify that. So No, okay. they, they did clarify. And I think you're, that's, I'm glad you brought it up actually, because that's another point again, I, I'm hitting, I'm killing a dead horse here, but this show feeds you stuff and continues on with this stuff. It doesn't just go away. There is dissent in the Grey Council. Dylan got thrown off the Grey Council. The warrior class took over the Grey Council. So the Grey Council is not the good guys right now. And so they don't want the Grey Council, at least some of them, knowing about the White Star because if the warrior cast knew about it, the warrior cast has already said in previous episodes, they want to start some shit with the Earthlings and all that. So we don't want them to know about the White Star. So it's 100% religious cast because they're not going to tell the warrior cast. So and it's I infighting inside of the Mimbari too. Yeah, and I was wondering about how those divisions work within Minbari society. And then, I mean, obviously they're working with Vorlons, or at least some of them. So then it's, you know, that gets into questions about are there divisions within the Vorlon society as well? So I'll leave that alone for now. That sounds like a question. Mike. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was going to bring up, it It was kind of a trope when they first introduced Sheridan, that he was kind of the guy who just automatically knew everything and had the answer to everything. It actually made sense in this episode, and they kind of remind you again that before coming to Babylon 5, Sheridan was a ship captain. He was, he was a warship captain, and so he jumped right into the seat and, and felt at home with, you know, tactics and how ships battle and how they you know, outmaneuver the shadows, how he kind of intuitively guessed what the shadow ship was up to, trying to corral them, you know, to figure out who they were and so on and so forth. So it was, it was another nice callback to, uh, to things that previous canon that had been established. Kevin. One of the things I wanted to mention about the behind the scenes was the the fighting scene with Lanier and uh, Marcus and Delenn. It's a shame because that, that scene was supposed to be longer and it got cut short because of uh, lack of, you know, time to, to be able to actually film it. it but it's, um, you know, something that Mira Fernalon, you know, hadn't gotten to do up until this point in the show. Um, and it wasn't something that she was uh, super comfortable with, but she enjoyed doing it. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the fighting pike is, uh, um, you know, Marcus's uh, weapon and it starts off, you know, really small and gets really big and it, uh, oh, well, we probably shouldn't go down that road. Never mind. It's only been several months since you've spoiled anything, Kevin. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> Andrew. Going back to the, uh, this episode having some of the best Ivanova moments. 
uh, I wanted to point out her line where uh, where they're talking about the possibility of the jump gate inside of a jump gate. Uh, she says, uh, like, it, like, yeah, they called it the bonehead maneuver and like looks over at Lanier and, oh, no offense. And he goes, oh, none taken. Which you can see in uh, Lanier's face. There was some offense taken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also uh, in that scene, I wanted to point out, uh, like, uh, Delenn's like, like really ha- does have like unwavering faith in uh in Sheridan because uh because uh, Sheridan looks at her and says like like are you sure this is gonna work and, and he said and she says no but uh but, like I trust you know what you're doing and and so so then yes I do think it's gonna work or like something along those lines so I thought that was a really good moment between the two of them the one thing I wanted to add real quick is and you guys have kind of already alluded to it a little bit is back to the whole point of Sheridan being a good captain. We've been told a couple times now, once in this episode, actually maybe even twice in this episode, he's the one guy who scored a hit during the Mimbari War. So in the season finale, we, 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 uh, Ivanova gave Sheridan a piece of the ship that he blowed up. And then in this one, he looked at Delenn and basically said, look, I, I've been down this road before. So we continue to get hints that Sheridan's the one guy who could pull this kind of stuff out of his ass. Emily. Um, just trying to clarify something else, if you can. So Dylan made it sound like at least a certain portion of the population of Mimbari know about the Rangers. They know of their existence and they're not comfortable with them. Is that like everybody knows or higher ranking, higher caste levels would know who I, I was, it wasn't really clear. So I didn't know if I missed that or if it's never made clear. It certainly seems like more people know about it than we thought, right? When we first found out about it, it was like super secret on B5 and only Garibaldi knew and only Dylan knew. But now we've got Drazi who are staging things at different places. We've got, uh, as you mentioned with Dylan, so it seems like more know about it. So you're you're noticing stuff and I'll leave it at that. Okay, because it sounds like no one on earth knows. But there's earthlings seeking out to be a ranger i mean not marcus but his brother did so right some people on earth know about it somehow yeah i love kasha's sense of humor at the beginning of the episode oh he was trolling <laughs> sheridan i chetty. thought chetty chetty got coshed it's like it's yeah it's like how do i know how do i know you're the same vorlon i've been here the whole time you okay, said but that legit about me question. yes what does that mean <laughs> I'm glad you guys brought up Kosh. I, I, I know I've talked about this before in previous episodes, but I want to hit on it again because I think you're seeing this becoming more important. About four or five episodes ago, Kosh-wise, when Kosh is in the story, JMS himself started doing the voice directing. So he is telling the voice actor where to make inflections, where to uh, you know do all of this script reading. So everything Kosh says is said for a reason. And so I, I, I think if you watch back like season one where Kosh is very much deadpan and very monotone, if you listen to Kosh now, especially when he's talking about how he's weak after everyone saw him. And by the way, you guys talked about this in the last episode. Did everyone know it was Kosh? No, they didn't know it was Kosh because Kosh was off to the side and he disappeared. But it also, when he's talking about how he's weak now, his inflection is just different. So um, it's very important because you don't get voice, you don't get face mannerisms with Kosh, but the, the voice actor is doing a lot of work to impart what he's, what he's feeling and what he's doing. And I, I'm, I'm enjoying watching Kosh do this as we go along. It's like, because I really feel like Kosh is educating Sheridan every time that they talk just a little bit, because even when like, 
Sheridan says, well, you've, you've said that same thing about me. And he just says, yes. And just starts to walk off like a boss. Sheridan goes, basically says, you know, this is really annoying. Right. And Cautious goes, good, good. <laughs> you know, and that's like, uh, that's my homeboy. I love Kosh. Kosh is fun. Let's go ahead and dive into questions and predictions. And for those who are just joining us, the newbies have not watched past matters of honor. And so we are going to ask them if they have any lingering questions and if they have any predictions of what might come next. So let's go over to Justin first. Questions and predictions. Yeah. Main question in my mind, what the hell is this program that Psycor wants to use the shadows to speed up? That's when they're sitting there on the couch and they're talking about, well, how they can brush this whole, you know, footage. Because one, I learned that the government doesn't have that tight of control on the media as we thought that they did, because they didn't even know that the footage was going on the news until they saw it and had to yank it off. So then, you know, so now in trying to explain this to the people, Psycor thinks that they can use this to try to speed up the program. Well, what is that program? I have a prediction for that. The shadows are going to are preparing Earth with EarthGov cooperation for invasion and occupation by the shadows. I think there's people in EarthGov actively working to help bring the shadow occupation to Earth. Now, what exactly what this program entails, I'm dying to know. My my tinfoil hat's over here, just like twitching and rattling on its own. Um, so, other question. How many other worlds are the shadows doing this on? Is Morn talking to everybody? That's what I'm wondering. Is he is he not only, you know, because of course he's in bed with the Centauri. He's now we found out he's in bed with Earth. Who else is he working with? If are there any non-aligned worlds that Morn's also talking to and getting assistance from? Um, and then we note that the white star is a prototype. Will there be more of them? Will B5 have its own secret fleet eventually? And then my last question, maybe you can even answer this without having to go beyond the rim. The name of the planet, the Zagra 7, that sounds familiar to me for some reason. Is there anywhere we've heard of that planet be mentioned before for any reason? Because I, I, I had to go through my notes because I thought it was the planet from Gropos that they were attacking, but it wasn't. So I don't remember. Like I said, it just sounded really familiar to me and I couldn't place it. And then just one kind of just side note, if you want to call it prediction, is is if EarthGov is working with the Shadows, Babylon 5 is going to have a hard time getting resources to fight them off. That's all I've got. To answer your question on Zagro 7, this is the first time you've heard about it. I think maybe okay. you may be like having a little uh, deja vu because Marcus mentions it first. It's the same planet that they were that he was escaping from. I got that part. Mentioned. Maybe I'm just confusing it. Maybe I'm just confusing it with other planets I've heard throughout the different episodes. Yeah, also. I just uh, I just went to the uh, B5 wiki, and this is the first uh, time that Zagra 7 is mentioned in the show. I think it's probably confusing like, it with a different one then. It sounds a lot like Zathras. Yeah, it has a passing <laughs> similarity to Zathras. I, that was my only thought too, Mike. Maybe. Okay, okay. Andrew, questions, predictions? Hmm. Hmm. All right, so uh, uh, first prediction, uh, I think Morden is going to go back on his war on his word to Londo about kind of staying to their halves because you know we haven't really talked about Nazis in, the, in this discussion. So Hitler promised not to invade Poland, and look what happened. Uh, so uh, first question is: Is Earth in the shadow half? Like when you're showing the diagram, uh, 
my question is, is Earth in the shadow half? And kind of a follow-up prediction to that, uh, kind of similar to what Justin was saying, Morden is plotting for the shadows to conquer Earth, uh, creating a bigger incentive for uh, Sheridan and his new uh, war council to stop them. Um, yeah, I to your is earth on that side or not we uh, it doesn't show on the map but you know we mentioned dividing the galaxy in half if you look at that map again they're not dividing the galaxy in half centaur is centauri is basically getting just a little bit of the arms on one side it's like a four and the shadows right. are getting everything else so just yeah i didn't mean like a like a literal half like i guess yeah. more just like staying to their sections so you can I, I would assume and again it's not on the map but you can assume that most of the galaxy is on the shadows portion Okay. Um, so then another question of what does Kosh mean whenever he keeps saying that uh, he and Sheridan have always been here? And Justin, I'm going to need to borrow your tinfoil hat for a moment because I think that uh, Sheridan is secretly a Vorlon meat puppet or perhaps possessed by a Vorlon, but he doesn't realize it. We said it last time, touched by a Vorlon. Uh, however many times Blake made that joke and it went over your guys' heads has been cute every single time. <laughs> and that's all I got. Okay, great. Thank you. Emily, questions, predictions? Uh, yeah. So first prediction is at some point Ivanova will be commanding B5 because Sheridan's going to have to leave to go fight the Shadows. Um, the Shadows' plan for now is to use Centauri homeworld as their base like they did uh, the Narn homeworld in the previous war that Jakar mentioned. The other prediction, so the report said that no one knows the Shadows are back. I think the Shadows are going to figure out they do know they're back because they have this fancy new ship. Because even though that uh, Shadow ship got destroyed, I'm guessing they were still able to send a message back to someone else. Uh, to relay the information that, hey, there's this new ship showing up uh, trying to protect the rangers, which would indicate they know what's going on. Um, so as far as questions, what is the lifespan of the shadows in Vorlon? I mean, do does one entity live a thousand years, 10,000 years, a billion years? What's their lifespan? And how do they reproduce? <laughs> I, I mean, if you're going to have a war, some, you know, someone's going to die and having your population dwindle doesn't make sense. So I would assume reproduction has to happen in some form. Are you asking about angry demon sex right now or? Uh, I might be. Happy angel sex. Is that what you, uh, you meant to say that, right? <laughs> that sounds less interesting. Yeah, that's um, probably the case. So, yeah, I'm kind of with Sheridan on, is that always Kosh in the Vorlon suit, or is it somebody else occasionally coming back? Like, do they switch it around? Because they'll never know. Seems like a good way to play a prank and just give somebody time away from being on B5. That's it. Jesse, questions, predictions? My only question was, why wasn't Kosh at the table with everybody else when they were talking about forming their new little group? And... I have no predictions. And after today's discussion, I feel like I need to go back and rewatch the episode again. I, I will say, and for those listening, our next episode, and it's we're no longer in that weird place where different streaming services play different episodes because they're fairly much serialized at this point. But our next episode is Convictions. And Jesse, I have a feeling you're going to like Convictions a lot more than you like Matters of Honor. And I'll just leave it at that. I didn't hate, let's be clear. I didn't not like Matters of Honor. Yeah. I was just very confused most I, of the time. 
I think you're going to have more to chew on in convictions. Got it. I'm actually, uh, I'm a little jealous you guys get to talk about that episode without me because it's a good episode. And Nicole, questions, predictions. All right. So my question is, did the shadow ship get blown up in that jump gate when they came out? Because it wasn't clear. It didn't really show if it got blown up or what. And if it did get blown up, blown up, is it going to tip off the shadows that they're known about? And then so we saw the Earth, Psychor and uh, Mr. Morden working together at the end. Is the Centauri involved in that, too? Because I kind of feel like this alliance of the Centauri, um, Earth, and then, you know, with the treaty they just did, and then the Shadows with Rifa working with them, and, you know, Sycor is just twisted and evil. So I feel like, is the Centauri working with them, too? Is it like a coup that they're all together? Um, and then prediction-wise, um, shit's about to pop off. Like, <laughs> that's my biggest prediction. Um now that Sheridan has the ship and they're having the war council and they're having their meetings every two weeks, I have a feeling that things are going to escalate and the shadow people don't think they're onto them, but clearly they are and they're preparing. So I think that that's just going to keep escalating. Obviously it's the season. And then I guess I just did think of one other question when Bester said, if we make people think there is a problem, it'll speed up the plan. What's the plan? That's my other question. You mean Morden? Or Morden, yeah. Yeah. So when Morden and Bester were talking about how... That wasn't, oh, Best, that wasn't Bester. That was just another side cop. Oh, I thought it was Bester. They all look the same. <laughs> they all look like dickheads I want to punch. So, but I didn't know it was a side cop. I just thought it was Bester. Gotcha. So anyway, those are my questions and predictions. That will end it for our discussion with the newbies for the first episode of season three. Again, next week we'll be back here to talk Convictions, episode two, season three. Until then, be sure to check out all our social media accounts. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, click that notify button, all of that good stuff. And be sure also to uh, let other people know about this show as we continue to grow and continue to give your reviews as well, too, because that really does help. And then for those who have watched the whole show or don't care about spoilers, stick around after the credits and we will answer these questions and predictions. So until next week, when we talk convictions, I have been Scott and with me has been Jesse, Emily, Mike, Mike, Kevin, Andrew, Nicole, and Justin. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved or licensed by warner brothers or any other owners of the babylon 5 copyright all clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders they are included here for purpose of review and no infringement is intended the opening and closing themes are available from falling matter on youtube and what's out there the rim and beyond that the truth 
Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. Spoiler warning, if you have not watched Past Matters of Honor or you just forgot what the show was all about, this is not the part of the show for you. If you are okay with spoilers, we're going to dive right in with the questions and predictions from our newbies. And guys, the first questions have to deal with uh, the Earth program and Psycor. So what is the Earth program that, that they want to speed up? Do we know at this point? I don't have a guess. I mean, the only thing that I could think of is that, you know, eventually we see destroyers with shadow tech grafted on them. I think the program they're talking about is we had this bit early on about Psychor endorsing a candidate for vice president. I mean, that was very early in the show where that was kind of a controversy. And I think what their program is, is the what they're doing to manipulate power consolidated mm-hmm. within Clark, who is therefore the pup, basically a puppet of Psychor. Um, at this point, maybe willingly, maybe unwillingly, but somewhere in there, you know, he's a puppet of, or not unwillingly, unwittingly is the word I was going for there. Yeah, he thinks they're the puppet of him. Yeah, he thinks they're the puppet of him. And, you know, it's that program, because as they said, that unknown shadow ship can help them do one thing, which is amp up fear. And mm-hmm. what have we seen politicians throughout history do when they have something they can make people afraid of? He, that's exactly what I think it is, too. Clark is going to use the fear of this new race to get consolidated power, to start shutting down any kind of resistance in the colonies, especially Mars and other colonies. And we'll hear about that, too. Mars will fall. Uh, I think Proxima will fall and a few others will fall as well, too. And that's what leads to the Earth Civil War at the halfway point of this season is that. So I think that is the what Psychor is interested in. And of course, the Shadows are interested in because they like to stir the pot. They want everyone to be weak. Um, along with that line, those lines, are the Centauri involved in the Earth Shadow Alliance? And the answer is no. The Centauri are not. The Centauri are, you know, they, the Shadows are just involving themselves all over the place, but the there's no like interconnection there. The Centauri are going to have issues because they're going to expand too fast and they're going to have internal strife. The Earth is going to have internal strife and that's what the Shadows want. Well, and that's it because they're, what they're doing is they're stirring up all these little conflicts. Mm-hmm. They're turning Earth into itself. They're driving this thing with the Centauri and all of their neighbors. Yep. So along those same lines, how many worlds is Morden working with and causing this problem? A lot. We we know that he was checking out different races all the way back in season one. We know he has left the Minbari alone. We know he's not messing with the Vorlons, but anyone else is fair game. Yeah, I mean, as far as big races, I think this is it. But, you know, as far as the the lesser races, you know, League or non, non-aligned, um, yeah, probably several of them, if not many, many. Mm-hmm. And part of it, too, is if you take out the big heads, the Centauri, the Narn, the Earth, then the other ones are just going to have infighting anyway. So you don't have to get granular if you don't ha- want to, but stir enough pots around the galaxy and everything's going to fall apart. Is Earth on the shadow half of the galaxy in the treaty? It doesn't matter. The shadows yeah, but... don't care. <laughs> yeah, that little line of fire is not really going to matter if they get their way. You know, it it doesn't, but it is an interesting question because it is it's interesting just to know whether or not at that point Londo is looking at the map and being like, "Yeah, screw the humans." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, they have a manifest destiny, and and they're gonna do what they want. And I'm sure back in I'm I'm sure back in Londo's head because again, as everyone pointed out, Londo's still ignorant of what the shadow power really truly is. I bet he's thinking the same thing Morton's thinking. I'll turn around, and screw these guys later. 
we'll consolidate our power behind this wall and then when we're ready we'll expand out of this wall yeah well, very possibly I, yeah. I would also think that earth is probably on the shadow side of the wall and the only reason i'm thinking that is because what we're going to find out later is the shadows are using psychor to get telepaths to put into mm-hmm. shadow vessels mm-hmm. so i'm thinking they're going to want to keep their hands on that yeah, I'd imagine. yeah that makes sense that makes sense. It really is crazy that Londo thought he was just going to be able to wipe his hands of them as soon as he didn't need them anymore, thought that he, he didn't need them anymore. That's just insane. Yeah. Like, that is just not how power dynamics work. I was saying, you can say that that's like a cultural thing of just how Centauri are, but there's no way that that's true. Because throughout their history, there has to have been times when, you know, a, a dirty bargain has been struck and then somebody backstabs someone else or, you know, like... That's just not the way things would work. Mm-hmm. His hands got dirtier than he was comfortable with. That does not ma- mean that he's a good guy or anything else. It just means that he probably didn't want the stink of them on, on his hands anymore. And that's just not the way the world works. Well, well, of course. well and yeah, to say, to be honest, I mean, Hitler thought he could use Stalin for a while and then say, fuck you. There's to quote JMS. There's a reason Stalingrad still strikes fear to the hearts of Germans. True. That didn't work out so well. I and mean, I also find it interesting that Morden is even having this discussion with Londo, especially when we know at this point that he has also been talking to Rifa. But the fact that, you know, he's he's negotiating the fate of the galaxy with someone who isn't the leader of the Centauri by any stretch. I mean, yeah, he's the one that they've done the dealings with, but Morden looked very amused by the entire conversation. He looked like the cat that ate the canary for sure. The, the way I look at it, too, is Morden's talking to Rifa. Morden's talking to Londo. Who's to say Morden's not talking to five other powerful houses, and he knows one of them's going to step up and be emperor. He doesn't really care who. Just as long as when it all happens, they can use the Centa- Centauri Republic as a staging area and do what uh, they want to do with it. I mean, I absolutely agree. I just think it's interesting, again, that, you know, granted, he's been having all the dealings with Londo, but, like, to go into a room with Londo and divide the galaxy in half, Mm-hmm. And that Londo thinks that that he is the one making that decision on behalf of the the Centauri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's curious. So let's talk a little bit about the White Star. And the first question the uh, newbies had was, "Who built the White Star? Who's paying for it?" Because Emily needs to have a budget every time. So. <laughs> well, that would be the Minbari. And the thought they believe in money, but not not every facet of the Minbari. You know, they they made it pretty clear that it was really just the religious cast that was involved in this, and that you know, well, you even said during the main show that you know it would be catastrophic if the warrior cast were to become aware of it. Yeah, and what I did, yeah, and what I didn't mention as part of the other question is: Is there going to be a secret fleet for B five? It's not just one White Star. It's a fleet of white stars. This is the bigger white star, but there are other ones. So if the warrior cast found out there was an entire fleet and these ships are pretty powerful, we haven't even seen their power yet, then yeah, there would be a problem. And uh, Blake, I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about the white stars as well, too. Yeah, that, that is one thing I will say there's, and it got brought up a little bit, is Ivanova does sort of just jump on and run a console on this with very little background and training. And we sort of see a little bit later where it's, more of a, they have to issue orders through a translator. Ivanova's trying to learn Mimbari. This will be stuff that comes up in later episodes in three, season three and four. But it, it was a little bit, I think, of a jump here that, you know, they walk on and she's sitting there running a stage because she was firing weapons and doing stuff 
um, on that one station with what seemed to be just a brief tutorial for Marcus. So that is the one part I'll comment. I think there was a little bit of a disconnect and they kind of gloss over it in later episodes with uh, Earth staff on the White Star. Mm-hmm. I will note, because I, I kind of cringed at first when they entered the White Star set for the first time, because it's honestly, it's not the prettiest in my mind. Uh, or the most impressive looking but like it did the sci-fi trope of like all of the controls are weird crystals because that somehow makes sense to every alien race in the universe um but that actually turned out not to be true because as they continued on and you saw a couple of different close-ups of characters like when uh marcus and ivanova are are having their side chat uh the controls at the back are starkly different than than the rest they don't have the little crystal consoles they actually have what look more like traditional uh touch screens and so i i wonder if some of the white star controls might actually be meant for human i.e ranger hands there's actually some behind the scenes with this um they built that set on the what they call the guest set so it's the one that's like for for only for a week and they had to build that set so that it was it could be taken down and then put back up again. So that set really wasn't what uh, JMS really envisioned particularly well. And it took them almost half the season, I think they said, to really, you know, have a couple directors come in and really, you know, line up the shots the way that they wanted it to. And, and for the set designers to uh, make it look you know better to to what they were going for but jms said even you know towards the end of the series it still it, it still really didn't fit his vision as well as he wished that it had um i didn't want to say that during the main show and i i guess i can't think of a good reason why at this point but it's probably something that we can tell them later but i wouldn't necessarily want to do it now mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense and the last thing on the white star did that shadow ship blow it up because we didn't see it blow up I think it blew up. I think it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's assumed. And it, it's, it's there for a reason is it shows even if the white star doesn't have the firepower yet to take out a shadow ship, it's maneuverable enough and f- just fast enough to where you can, you can hold your own against a shadow ship, which is something we haven't seen before yet. Well, you know, what's interesting actually is we did see uh, another ship damage a shadow vessel. That's I true. I believe it was a Narn battle cruiser. Yeah, it was, it was a Narn heavy cruiser, yeah. So they're far far from invulnerable, but mm-hmm. they're... And, and JMS actually pointed out... The surprise is the thing that gets... Yeah, JMS po- pointed that out during that episode um, that uh, the, the shadows are not um, omnipotent. The one thing I, I the, the newbies did not either catch or didn't talk about is we got a little bit more of an idea of who's older because Delenn does... Excuse me, Delenn does say that the shadows are the most ancient race that we know about. So the shadows have been around longer than anybody else, assuming as longer than the Vorlons as well. Do we? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know how much faith to put in that because she's obviously keeping some secrets about the Vorlons. Mm-hmm. The other thing I can't believe the newbies didn't didn't latch onto or notice or mention is the the kind of kind of spoiler in the credit sequence with one Earth ship going after another and destroying it. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they didn't notice that. Yeah, and then we maybe watched thought it was a training type thing because we've seen them do some training flights before. I just wonder if they might have thought it was training. But and we're if, not and we're, we're not talking like Earth cruisers. We're talking about two Star Furies. Star Furies. 
but it really seemed like the one blew up. So I'm I'm just surprised. But I again I I know what happens with the show, so I know you know mm-hmm. I know what's important. But it it I, still yeah. I was surprised. I had the same thought because I watched that that intro and I found myself thinking like oh shit maybe we should have told them not to watch the intro yeah yet because that's a spoiler that I really wish wasn't in there. But we've had this discussion before about the credit sequences having a little bit more in it than we would really prefer for the first few episodes of a, of a season but well uh, that one's halfway through a season before you get to that piece. Oh, i know it's yeah i i still can't believe that that well and i know this came up with the other podcast too like the b5 for the first time guys were complaining that they got spoiled because of the intros but if you go back and you look at some of the stuff jms has brought up because i i can't remember where but he brought up the whole uh intro and he's like he sees the intros as basically you know just an introduction to the book itself like the dust cover you're just going to read that stuff and that's just part of it so it's not really a spoiler it's just it. an introduction to the universe but i i completely get that it's something that if you don't if you you don't know what you're looking for. That's something that definitely stands out. So let's get into the shadows and Vorlons more. What is the lifespan of a shadow and a Vorlon? And I had to go look it up in my trusty encyclopedia. We don't know. They, it lists the shadow lifespan as unknown, maybe immortal, and the Vorlons unknown as well. Anyone else know anything else that I'm forgetting on that? I'd imagine they're extremely long-lived. And we also know they can hibernate too. So is it always really Kosh in the suit for now? Yeah. yeah, it won't be. It it is, and I think this ties into the next question, which is: Are there factions within the Vorlon? And I think the short answer is: Well, there's at least one faction, and it's one Vorlon, and it keeps right. coming back to V five. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we'll find ahead. out, you know, a little bit later that you know other Vorlons feel differently, you know, than Kosh does. Kosh is uh, probably unique, per, mm-hmm. perhaps. I would imagine mm-hmm. so the the other vorlons may may all feel the same i don't know but you know we we de- like mike like you said mike to your point it's definitely that there's there is a faction of one at, at least yeah I, it's probably unlikely that he's the only one i mean just like it's probably unlikely that every shadow is evil honestly i mean mm-hmm. i think he definitely is in the minority though because we'll see afterwards that the vorlons just start weighing lace waste to people so uh if kosh yeah. if kosh has a group uh he is definitely not in a place to where he can well he's dead at that point but he's not in a place where he can define policy well we don't uh, really know how many vorlons there even are that's right. true. There could be 10. There could yeah. be six. There could be two. We don't know. Yeah. And a whole bunch of bio ships. Yeah. Why wasn't Kosh at the table at the War Council? And we kind of, we, Sinclair talked about this, or maybe I can't remember if Sinclair or Sheridan. Kosh goes and where he wants to go, he does what he wants to do. And he's, he just doesn't he's, get involved. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't follow level. anyone else's agenda. Yeah. He just he's doesn't want to get involved to that level. Yeah, he's he's letting Delenn and Sheridan know what's going on, and that's all he needs to do. So what does Kosh mean by he has always been there and so has Sheridan? Well, that's one that we really don't get a full answer on. We do know from in the beginning, the movie, that Kosh has been around for a freaking long time. And Kosh actually is at B4 when Sinclair goes back and becomes Valen. But we never really get a true answer of why he says Sheridan has always been there. And I know Blake, who had to drop off, he mentioned a theory to me today because we just got the press release with the animated movie and we now know Sheridan's going to be jumping through time as part of the show. And he's like, what if we actually get that answer now? 
that Sheridan has actually always been around B5 and around the universe because he's bouncing around through time a la Sam Beckett. And I, I think that'd be kind of fun to close that little loop because we never really got an answer on why Sheridan has always been there. Okay, predictions, guys. Shit's about to pop off. Correct. Yep. Yeah. We're getting close. The Earth Civil War is coming. Let's... I can't wait. It's my favorite part of this series. Mm-hmm. The Shadows are preparing Earth for invasion with some help from EarthGov. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not long-term, not short-term, though. So at the end of the day, the Shadows hope that they're going to, you know, lay waste to the galaxy and reset everything as they always do with their cycles. But they're not, like, playing on invading Earth tomorrow. They're just trying to screw around with folks, and sooner or later, everyone's going to be to a place where they can just have their way with them. But I don't think it's like a they're amassing their forces or anything. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the Shadows are well aware that they're not invulnerable. As, mm-hmm. as others seem to think and you know if they came in and caused too much of a ruckus and did it out in the open you know enough enough races could team up and it give them a fight and they're not interested in that it's mm-hmm. not how they want to play it mm-hmm. uh this is prophetic the shadows will use a centauri homeworld just like they used the Niren homeworld in the last war yes yeah and that's what londo's vision is is the shadows staging on centauri and of course, what we don't know yet is Londo's final fuck you to the shadows is he will blow up the island that they're staging their ships on. And that's when Morden dies because he gets captured and Veer gets to wave at him. Do we, do we know if there's any particular reason why the shadows picked uh, the Narn homeworld as their staging area before? Uh, I don't know if there's if it's ever called out, but I think part of it is, remember, the, the, the Narns had telepaths. And we know the shadows wiped them out. Now, is that the reason why they picked Narn to land on? I don't know, but it was definitely, it's either chicken or the egg. Either they landed there because of the telepaths, or when they landed there, they took out the telepaths. Well, as you say, in almost the same token, yeah, then they're looking at Centauri, and we know that the Centauri have telepaths. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it has something to do with the fact that they had telepaths and were not spacefaring yet. Easy to pick on? Yep. Well, and I think that's the reason why the shadows use a Centauri is just pure vindictive. Like we're just going to mess with you. Orlando, you don't want part of us. Well, here we well, go. Somebody, somebody said something earlier and I maybe have forgotten this plot point about um, putting telepaths uh, yeah. onto shadow ships. Mm-hmm. What, what was that about? Because. So they telepaths pilot the ships. They are at the okay. heart of every shadow ship. That's the screaming you hear with the shadows. We find yes, out that okay. it's actually a telepath screaming. So I guess my thinking was that perhaps in the previous war, the Narn actually had the most telepaths. And so it was, wasn't so much that they were wiped out as the supply was exhausted. Mm, they were and using perhaps, a farm. And yeah. perhaps now the Centauri are the ones who have the most per capita telepaths. Could be. Do we and know of course, any of other races besides the Minbari, the humans, and the Centauri uh, who have telepaths? Is it just the main races? I don't know if it's ever called out. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say one way or the other because I don't know. Okay. If any of the, the non-aligned folks have telepaths or not, I can't. I can't remember because well, this if, is if a, it was, it's like a one-off line somewhere that I just can't remember. So, well, this is interesting to me too, because it makes me wonder where, where did telepaths originate from? And I, I felt like there was maybe some speculation or discussion about whether the Vorlons actually introduced oh, yeah. the Vor- telepaths yeah, it, 
It's called out. The Vorlons seed telepaths. They're the ones. So why would they be seeding telepaths, which they know that their enemy needs? Because they're also what stops the shadow fleet. That's what we found out in Ship of, uh, Ship of Tears is that the telepaths also can stop a shadow ship. So we actually they stick Minbari telepaths on white stars and other human telepaths too, and they can shut down the shadow ships and let them be destroyed. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's just yeah. like both and sides it, it, vying for the same resource in a way. And well, and it goes back to the Shadows and Vorlons don't want to beat each other. They they have the same goal, and that is to reset the universe every few thousand years to let the good races survive and the bad races burn. So they're okay with both pitting each other off each other because at the end of the day, they don't care. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So Morden will back go back on his word regarding separating the galaxy. He said so in the episode. He said yeah. treaties are just treaties. And we also know, too, that Morden will go back on his word with Londo because he's told Londo, okay, we're done, we're good. And if you ever need us again, we'll be around. And then he's going to go kill Adira to make sure Londo comes back to him. So Morden has no intention of leaving Londo alone either. B5 is going to have a hard time getting resources from Earth. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, absolutely <laughs> they will. It's you just said the Civil War is your favorite part, down. so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it uh, it's it's uh, there. There's actually some some uh, humorous stuff that comes out of that. You know, the the scene with Garibaldi trying to get his package for his uh, Cauda, uh supplies. I think it was that. Uh, well, that was earlier, but there's other ones. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. Okay, but yeah, they, they <laughs> there's other they ones up. though. Yeah, where they're yeah. like they don't, and we we that's where the League of Non-Aligned Worlds comes in and says we'll supply B five, we'll make B five right. our home. That's so, right. It wasn't the Bonyakata, but it was other stuff. Yeah, from from. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, geez, do they actually do a callback to the Bonyakata later in the series? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. We did it again. And you can find how to make that by checking out Blake's cooking episode, which is on our YouTube. At some point, Ivanova will command B5 because Sheridan will be off fighting the war. Oh, unfortunately not. That's the way it was supposed to be. Right. The Yeah, so Ivanova is going to be just as involved in the Civil War and the Shadow War that Sheridan is. And in fact, Ivanova is going to play a very important role because she's going to be the one who communicates with the first ones through the Great Machine and all that good stuff. So she is definitely going to have a part in it. But yeah, season five, Ivanova was supposed to be capt- our commander or captain of B5. But when Claudia Christian left the show, we get Susan Lockley, which um, interesting. The B5 anime movie, Lockley and uh, Ivanova are listed as yep. uh, being voiced by, obviously, their original actors. Do we get the first meetup between Ivanova and Lockley in this? I don't know. We'll see. You know, one of the names I didn't see in the animated yeah. was Veer's name mm-hmm. uh, for a voice actor. And that 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 pains me. I hope they are going to have Veer in it. but Well, and the press release did say... Uh, a cast that includes so yeah, you're I, don't right. th- I don't think they listed everybody out i you know and also jms didn't write the press release warners did so i don't right. know but well i think i i think you almost have to have if they're gonna recast delenn jacquard franklin garibaldi i think you almost at that point everyone from the right. original show is going to be in there so right. Yeah, do we Mike, do we know that they re- did recast? Yes, some of the, because yes. Uh, on the press release they they gave the new voice actors for Jakar, Franklin, Delenn, and Garibaldi. I see. Mm-hmm. And, and Zathras and, and a new voice and, and actually right. Jeffrey Sinclair and the guy yep, voicing right. Zathras is voicing Jeffrey Sinclair as well. 
So Sinclair is in the movie as well. Yeah, and Andrea Thompson wasn't on that list either, but I'm going to guess she probably is not going to be involved or have that, yeah. that character involved, but who knows? I did notice, uh, and we record these episodes a few weeks in advance, so folks, are this happened a while ago. JMS actually came out finally uh, on Twitter like yesterday and said that the intention with the um, uh, Talia Ivanova scene in the bedroom was that they had slept together. And yeah. he flat out said that was, he actually went to Claudia Christian and, um, oh my God, um, Andrea Thompson and asked them, are you, are you good with this? And they said, yeah, we're going, we're, we're going home. We're in. So that was absolutely, it was, um, it was meant to be that they had, uh, formed a relationship. Uh, the shadows are going to figure out that the galaxy knows that they're back because of the white stars or white star. Again, when we see it here, the, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, the shadows are arrogant. Morton's like, eh, fine. They they don't really know what we're doing. They're it's fine. The shadows don't really worry that much. Delin's more worried about the shadows knowing about them than the shadows are worried about the other thing, and that's why they're going to lose because they're not going to expect Sheridan to just walk into Zaha Doom and blow the shit up. And Sheridan is a Vorlon meat puppet. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. No. I mean, he, he, he does become a little bit more influenced by Kasha's tutelage throughout this season, but he's definitely doing things on his own, and he's not a meat puppet for the Vorlons. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. And again, next week we'll be talking convictions and talking about Londo and Jakar having a lovely moment in the elevator. So until then, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, do all that stuff, and check out our social medias. And please leave a review. I am Scott, and with me has been Mike and Kevin. No, I mean, these are hard to get on. Let's face it, you've got to be a man to wear tights. <laughs>